2: The Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilme. Thanks so much
3: for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Killme Show. We have a big hour coming your way and, of course, a lot of breaking news to cover. Today, President Biden will be delivering remarks on how Build Back Better agenda will lower prescription drug prices. Yeah, and quadruple the debt? How about that? $3.5 trillion, that's part of Build Back Better? Really? Good luck with that. And Congressman Henry Cuellar, to me, one of the real heroes in a horrific border situation under this administration, a Democrat who cares more about the people that elected him than he does his party. We'll be discussing his meeting with Secretary Mayorkas. He's been very critical of the Biden administration for having the worst border policy in my lifetime. It's the highest number of border crossers in two decades. Secretary Mayorkas down on the border today, they'll have a joint meeting. They are ignoring Henry Cuellar, who knows what's happening and how to fix it. I don't think they can afford to ignore him anymore. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian.
4: Number three. Increasingly, the control of the country now belongs to the Taliban. And what's going to happen is Kabul inevitably will be completely isolated. Then it's just a matter of waiting.
3: That is General James Marks. As we talk about what's happening in Afghanistan, going down—that's what's about to happen to the Afghan government that we have supported for 20 years. After we decide not to step before Kabul, uh, not to step up before Kabul becomes the next Saigon, we have to do something. There is still time.
5: Number two. I don't want to hear anything about COVID cases in Florida, mass mandates in New York, vaccine passports. I don't want to hear anything about that until the Biden administration deals with the crisis they created on our southern border. There is no other conclusion any rational person can reach other than this is intentional.
3: And Jim Jordan, they're all linked, so you're 100% right. Nonsensical. That's what even the Washington Post says about the Biden border policy. And now the July numbers are in. It's over 210,000 apprehensions, let alone the gotaways. It's a record number of illegals breaching our border over the last seven months, many carrying the deadly virus. Something has got to change. Nothing else will matter.
6: Number one.
4: We're also made clear to OPEC, the major oil exporting nations of the world, that the production cuts made during the pandemic should be reversed as the global economic, there's a global economy recovers in order to lower prices for consumers.
3: So painful to listen to him. Hey, OPEC pump some oil No, that's not a quote from Richard Nixon or Gerald Ford. It's from fossil fuel hating Joe Biden. And it's his answer to the surging gas prices causing inflation. Both part of what's taking him and his party down. As he struggles to keep his party on point with his unthinkable $4 trillion plus Bernie Sanders socialist free money buffet. And that's where we'll begin. Unbelievable to hear this. And I I don't want to put you through it, but you have to. The guy that stopped the pipeline. The guy that says... I will not increase fracking, but I will not ban fracking. The guy that basically said no more uh, drilling on federal land in New Mexico, Texas, or anywhere else has now says, well, gas prices have gone up a dollar in the last three months, so that's affecting everyone. Inflation's going through the roof. So OPEC, pump some more oil. Listen, Mr. President, you inherited a country that was oil and energy independent you are blowing it in an effort to become, uh, I guess, environmentally more friendly and, and your green plan impossible to implement as you buzz around the White House in an electric car that's not ready for mass production. So in the meantime, we're all paying more because you're going by AOC's agenda. Cut one.
4: Recently, we've seen the price that oil companies pay for a barrel of oil begin to fall but the cost of gasoline at the pump for more American people hasn't fallen. That's not what you'd expect in a competitive market. I want to make sure that nothing stands in the way of oil price declines, leading to lower prices for consumers. We also made clear to OPEC, the major oil-exporting nations of the world, that the production cuts made during the pandemic should be reversed as the global economic — as the global economy recovers in order to lower Prices for consumers.
3: Okay. Uh, Prices are going up faster than wages are going up. That is part of the reason why in a Fox News poll, only 47% approve of his economic performance, 49% disapprove. When it comes to crime, only 39% approve. Who is that 39? Crime couldn't be worse, I thought. And immigration, 35% approval, 57% disapproval. I ask you, who are the 35% who think it's good? Well, I guess the extreme left. In the meantime, we're all paying more for oil and gas and it doesn't have to be. We sacrifice one of our great, uh, the great elements and the great uh, sectors of our economy for a political agenda, and it's sickening. Bill Simon is a former Walmart CEO and sees all these prices going up and knows who's paying the price. It's middle-class Americans, working-class Americans who, and also in many cases still today, Women who do the shopping who are noticing their money's not going as far. Cut three. I'll tell you
7: what really concerns me—it's oil prices because there's there's oil. Oil prices impact the entire economy. One of the reasons that food prices are increasing is because the transportation component, well obviously oil, of of the food prices has gone up, and if. Government policy and 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 activity it hasn't isn't going to allow us to become as competitive as we were say two years ago, in in uh, in generating our own oil and driving the global prices of oil down. I think that could be with us for a while. Hopefully, that'll change, and maybe there's some. You know, faster adaptation to use of less gas in electric cars. I still see that being 10 or, 10 or 12, 15 years away before it has any meaningful impact on it. So I think unless we can get fuel prices, oil prices in line, gas prices back down, it could be with us for a while.
3: No kidding. And, and what, what bothers me is that we still are acting like this is a crisis that needs money. That's why we need the $1.2 trillion on infrastructure, with only 40% max going to actual infrastructure. But it was a compromise bill but that most Americans, according to polls, aren't supportive. But the $3.5 trillion, the truly $5.4 trillion, if you just uh, uh, extrapolate out the distance of the allocation, now you're looking at more money thrown at something where there's 10 million people who aren't, There's 10 million jobs open, 8 million unemployed. For some reason, people are choosing not to work. Maybe it's because we're giving them so much money on unemployment and supplemental unemployment. Now we're going to have more jobs if this infrastructure bill passes. Available. Please show me the Americans that want to work. I'm not seeing them. So far, if you want to know why you feel as though your dollar's not going as far, you're absolutely right. The average hourly wage increased 4%. Inflation went up 5.4%. Do the math. Also, when it comes to the inflation crisis, hard goods that you can appreciate. You want to buy a used car, you don't need me to tell you. In one year, 41% increase. You're paying 41% more this year. Food, 5% up this year. Gas, 41% up this year. Electric bills, 4% up. So if you're somebody whose job was shelved, if you're someone who got increases on average, you're losing money. Everything costs more, uh, ratcheting up the stress in your life. The other major story is what's happening in immigration. Did you get those numbers? In July, it's 210 plus thousand apprehensions unofficially come through our border, let alone the gotaways, let alone all the smugglers who go out of their way not to be captured. The money that's flowing in from the cartels that are pushing this and also really disturbing the number of unaccompanied children is increasing again. Could it be, Mr. President, that you said an unaccompanied kid gets to stay so a woman mortgages her house, sells her house, thinks she's doing something good for her only child, puts him with a a, a human trafficker, and they go thousands of miles to our border hoping to get to America quickly and safely in order to have that kid stay by him or herself? It's nuts. Here's Brandon Judd, the president of the National Border Patrol Council. Cut 10.
5: When we go out and, and we patrol the border, we, we, we see what is not happening. And when you have Secretary Mayorkas going down to the border, it's actually a slap in the face to the border patrol agents because he already knows what mm-hmm. is taking place. When we saw under the Trump administration, the secretary go down the border, things changed. Nothing has changed. When Vice President Harris went down, nothing's going to change when Secretary Mayorkas goes down. And that is frustrating.
3: And it's got, guess what? Politically, they're going to pay a price. Tom Bevan from Real Cruel Politics, cut 12. The border
7: is—I mean, it's a big issue for Republican voters in general. And Biden's approval rating on that is the worst out
8: of any of the issues that that we uh, we track. Uh, he's down in the the 30s, mid 30s on the issue, and it's been a problem right from the beginning. So it will motivate Republicans uh, in the midterms. And again, that's uh, when it, when it comes to turnout, uh, could be significant.
3: Yeah, he basically went on to call it uh, lunacy too. And you look at the area uh, in Laredo. They have so many positive tests. So many people are being untested, still put on buses and left in facilities. Think about this. The Border Patrol risked their jobs to take some pictures and send some video out to various media members to show how bad the conditions are inside tents because the media is not allowed to go there. A few still pictures uh, plummeted the President Trump's ratings forced major changes at the border. Had the media go in 24 hours about our abusive way in which we treat children from other countries, rather than talking about the law enforcement necessary at a border. That was before the pandemic. With the pandemic jeopardizing all of us, you're worried about a four-year-old going to school in a mask and you're not concerned about what's happening at our border when countries, over 100 countries represented, pour in and say, take me right now because I'm a refugee. Oh, you don't have any lawyers? You don't have any judges? I might as well just stay. And they do. We've got an extra million and a half people. How is that okay? 1-866-408-7669. If you want to write me, go to Brian Kilmead. Uh, com And we'll go over some of those emails. Bottom of the hour, General David Perkins, retired U.S. Army four-star general who fought in Afghanistan, commanded in Afghanistan. What's his thoughts about our 20-year effort about to evaporate in a matter of weeks? Taliban on the march. I'll bring you the details.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories,
9: it's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Welcome back, everyone. one 408 7669 I haven't really gone over it. Don't want to go into too much, too, too much detail about it because I have General David Perkins coming up, and I'm outraged about what's happening in Afghanistan and not being somebody who's been on the ground there but been studying it and be lucky enough to have great contacts there. Everybody knew when we pulled out, the Afghan government and the army and the forces, they combined police and military, and they say they're the finest. It, it wasn't a matter of saying, I bet you they can hold out. The way we did it, leaving in a matter of 30 days, there was no combination. There was no planning. Guess who was planning? The Taliban. Guess who was disingenuous with the talks that took place for over a year? with Ambassador Khalilzad, the Taliban. Khalilzad said yesterday, I want them to stop. Stop? Are you, have you met these people? They're Islamic fundamentalists. They're going into these towns and marrying off teenagers to their fighters, burning off, burning up women, beginning with their hair, because they didn't cover it up. They are doing horrific crimes, trying to intimidate the next town by ransacking the previous town forcing fighters to give up, throw up their hands, or families just to pick up and run, or to fly the Taliban flag ahead of time saying, I was with you the whole time. I don't want to get into the history of Afghanistan. I don't ever want to dominate it. We never did want to make a Jeffersonian democracy there. That's a false choice. If you hold it, give them a shot at reading, writing, and education, you could change a generation. We've already put 20 years in. Why are you creating this Saigon moment? We'll discuss that uh, in great detail. But I want to get into the nuances of this infrastructure bill because I find it fascinating, especially if you like politics. So the one point two trillion ticked off a lot of Republicans when about twenty, nineteen or twenty went along with it and signed off on it. I was looking at this Fox News poll, and it looks as though most Americans like the idea of the one point two trillion, the bipartisan deal. And they even have the $3.5 trillion, something they look on positively. However, they haven't talked about the cost of this. If someone said, how would you like everything on your Christmas list, absolutely everything, you would say, especially if you're a kid, yeah, I'll take everything, everything on my Christmas list. But then you say, well, there's going to be a cost to it. It's going to mean that you're not going to be able to go out to restaurants for at least six months. It's going to mean you're going to have to sell one of your cars. It's going to mean that generations of your family are not going to be able to own a home because they're not going to have enough money to get a mortgage because your credit is going to be so bad. You'll like, go, wait a second. I don't need everything. What do I need and what do I want? Republicans have done a terrible job. Instead of saying, oh, my goodness, if Democrats give away elder care – Give away preschool, give away junior college, give away school lunches. How do I win an election and take that stuff away? On the surface, it's ominous, but not really if you can communicate. Let me explain to you about capitalism and the opportunity that successful people give other people and other generations. And better yet, let me tell you what happened with France. Let me tell you what happened with England. Let me tell you what happened with Germany. Let me tell you what happened with Spain. Is there a reason why they've not become economic superpowers? It's because there's so much socialistic obligation to them to make a dollar. There's not enough incentive to want to Therefore, capitalism allows others to thrive. While well, one gets way ahead, don't get jealous, get excited. I want to be part of that success. Learn from the Steve Jobs and start my own. That's the way it works. Now, there are people who fall through the cracks. There's a social safety net I'm all for. Social security, there's got to be an element to senior care. I get it, especially those who are born with um, disabilities. You've got to help out, but that's not what I'm talking about. Now, specifically, what I find interesting. On the $3.5 trillion. right away I'm saying to myself they're going to jam it down our throats. Hours after, which is such an in-your-face, they say, we got $3.5 trillion. It's the Bernie Sanders agenda. Everything free I just mentioned is in there. But then it turns out Joe Manchin came out and said, this isn't the Great Recession. This isn't the Great Depression. I am really worried about throwing more money at this economy with inflation already rising. It's going to get overheated. I am not for this. This is way too much money. Step up Senator Kristen Cinema of Arizona. Way too much money. Well, that's interesting. On the Democratic side, they say, the 1.2 trillion, that's not enough. Really? And I'm not even going to entertain that. In fact, I'm going to take up I'm Nancy Pelosi 3.5 trillion. The squad basically said, we're not even looking at the $1.2 trillion unless the $3.5 trillion is sitting right there. Now, keep in mind, when the whole economy collapsed, Barack Obama got $800 billion, and we thought that was a lot. Now $1.2 trillion is there laughing at it because it's not real to them. It's our tax money written on a credit card because the dollars aren't there yet. They're not earned. It's way over budget. So then I find out there's a problem solvers caucus, and there are some moderates in the House. Josh uh, Gottheimer, for example— He has same concerns as Joe Manchin's. He says the numbers so far are the numbers that came out of the White House. Those numbers at those levels proposed are dead on arrival. I don't think they get the votes for that. Now, not one Republican is going to vote for it. They only have between a three- His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out
9: every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
3: Three and five-seat advantage in the House, I think. And if God doesn't vote for it, it's dead. Now, you don't get the $1.2 trillion through the House unless there's the $3.5 trillion, or else the squad's gone. They're in trouble. And that could be... The situation that Senator Cassidy talked about, that we didn't walk away from infrastructure. We both realized we needed it. We had to negotiate for it. I didn't get everything I want. There's way too much green stuff in there. But I no longer can say Republicans won't even give us stuff that they know we need because it's Joe Biden and it's Democrats. Republicans go, yeah, we gave you a deal. And you want to triple it without our help. And you want to make 8 million illegals legal. Which has nothing to do with reconciliation. Reconciliation can be de- defined by budget-related issues, which it allows you to pass with a simple party-line vote. They have a lot of negotiating to do, and I don't—I'm not someone who does not believe in Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's already stopped the filibuster; he's already got something bipartisan. I think he stops this in his tracks. And I do believe there is a moderate force that wants to get reelected and sees Nancy Pelosi staring at the finish line next. We talk about Afghanistan. General Perkins.
9: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade
6: the Taliban continues to try to advance uh, in the country uh, through brutality, through oppression, through fear. And, and as my, counter, my counterpart at the State Department said, those kinds of tactics are not going to lead to the level of leg- legitimacy that they say they want from the international community. But so that's, that's why we continue threat, to. Admiral. I mean,
0: I mean, do you think the Taliban is going to say we're gonna, we we want to be legitimate in the world's eyes, that that's
6: going to be the threat that makes them stop beheading or executing people? Brett, they've said to themselves that they want legitimacy and that they want to have a hand in... in in governance, which means they're going to have to come to the table and be part of a negotiated political settlement.
3: Admiral, uh, I know Admiral Kirby. I don't think he believes anything he's saying, because if I asked him in military terms, and if he was outside the government, he would say, of course, the Taliban can't be taken seriously. Of course, they're not legitimate partners. And they've already gone back on almost everything they said over the last year in negotiations with Ab- Ambassador Calazad. So why do we believe him now? They want legitimacy Here's a guy that knows what life is like on the ground in Afghanistan, commanded troops there, uh, retired four-star General David Perkins uh, with the U.S. Army. Uh, General, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Hey, Brian. How you doing today?
3: I hate to bring you back into that war mindset that you were in for your entire adult life almost. But when you see Afghanistan falling with 10 provincial capitals already in Taliban hands, and it looks like Kabul is standing almost on its own, what are your thoughts?
0: Um... You know, from a point of view that this is happening, it's not really a surprise or a a last-minute event. I mean, our... Uh, taking our current administration into account and the previous two have all said they wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Uh, So this has been on various White House to-do lists for a while. And I think uh, all the policymakers, those of us that have experience here, I've been there multiple times, never had a full uh, year tour there. Um, I, I think we knew this was probably a most likely outcome. So we shouldn't be surprised what we need to do is say, as, as we withdraw out, what are the things that absolutely must occur and that we have some control over? Uh, a lot of things that people want to have happen are fine. It's just that the U.S. has no control over, it, but there are things we have control over, and we just need to make sure that both sides of the equation here are well aware of what those are.
3: I don't. I don't know. Do you expect them to take uh, to take Afghanistan the speed in which they're doing it? Because almost every Biden official, unnamed because they don't want to lose their job, uh, have said that the speed is stunning them.
0: You know, they they have just as multiple administrations have been wanting and trying to get out. The Taliban has just been waiting for them to execute that. So they. I I'm not surprised, quite honestly, because uh, I think in most people's hearts, this was a faith to complete. You know, when you the Taliban would always say when speaking about the Americans, you Americans have all the clocks, but we have all the time. They've just been waiting and biding their time. And now when the time is available, they're making their move.
3: They're making their move, but if we left a semblance of troops there, they wouldn't have been able to make a move. If we gave air power to the uh, Afghan government, they wouldn't be able to make these moves. And we've already shown that with the amount of time we've had troops in Japan and Germany, that we're not looking to uh, and Korea. We're not looking to leave tomorrow if it's in our national security interest. Here's Jen Psaki on the responsibility, and does Joe Biden have any request about going against all of his aides who recommended he didn't leave in the speedy, which he did? Cut 15.
10: The Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. And I know that uh, Ambassador Khalilzad made comments when he was at the political negotiations yesterday, making clear that the international community is going to watch closely how the Taliban behaves. They have a range of tools in their arsenal as well to take steps should they choose.
3: And she also earlier said that the Afghan government, uh, the Afghan troops have 300,000 troops and they got to decide to fight. Why aren't they fighting or why aren't they fighting well?
0: Um, a lot of it, Brian, is fear, and um, because that is a major tactic that Taliban uses, and that that is one of the things that, as the U.S. withdraws, we've got to make sure that we're able to take care of the people that took care of us while we're there; those who cooperated with us, those who worked with us, NATO and our allies. And I, I know they're expediting the visa process, but if if we leave, if we leave them out to hang out to dry literally why aren't they fighting Um, why aren't
3: they better trained
0: um there's a difference between being trained and being motivated i would say their training is probably was done well they know what to do it's the matter of being inspired and motivated to do it
3: why aren't they motivated to do it the taliban are not popular amongst the masses
0: yeah, you know, I, I will tell you, I bet a lot of them are not sure that if they take on the Taliban, that whatever power structure in the end results will have their back and that they will pay a price for that.
3: So they're not fighting at all. Uh, so, yeah. so you know, they evidently I've heard reports. You could tell me if they're right, because uh, you were there um, in Iraq and Afghanistan through your career. I'm talking to retired four-star General David Perkins and who spent years in the Pentagon strategizing, too. General, I hear there's 12,500 elite fighters that the Afghans have, mostly hold up in Kabul. Uh, do you think if that, isn't, if that number is correct, how long can they hold the capital?
0: Well, um, really, again, it doesn't come down necessarily purely to numbers or how well-trained they are. It is um, can you keep them together as a cohesive force, who is their leadership? Do they believe in their leadership? And do they believe their leadership will prevail because their leadership is what's going to prevent them from getting retribution from the Taliban if the Taliban take over? So it's, it's, it's more the longer-term view. It's, it's after the fight of Kabul and what happens then versus can we execute the fight?
3: So you believe it's lost. And, I mean, that means we might as well just empty our embassy too. Well,
0: what I think we have to do, coming back to that, is we make some priorities of what must absolutely occur. Like I said, number one, we've got to take care of the people that take care of us, or we'll never get help anywhere else in the world. Number two, looking at the the Kabul portion of it, you know, securing the capital and particularly the airport. The airport provides that key, what we call line of communication in and out. To, if there is a decision to bring in reinforcements of supplies, I understand that Turkey is going to take a major role in that. And so we need to focus on those key aspects and key critical nodes that we want to keep operational so that we can continue to provide some form of leverage against the Taliban and, and give the Afghan people some breathing room and space so that they can take matters into their own hands. Because in the end, that's that's what what's going to happen. The Afghan people have got to take this into their own hand and take ownership.
3: Here's uh, General James Marks about what's happening uh, on the ground. Uh, cut nineteen.
4: And now we have not only what we're seeing on the ground, but also contributing to that is the United States states left a good amount of kit of equipment of vehicles, of armaments that now the Afghan military is walking away from. And guess who's taking control of that to increase the momentum that they're gaining? It's the Taliban.
3: We left Afghan You know, no one has to tell you you were active when we left Iraq, when President Biden, and vice president, evaluated they're ready to stand on their own. Within 18 months, we had ISIS and Baghdad was almost overrun. We had to go back in there with thousands of troops. I don't even think we can go back in there with thousands of troops. And this would be much harder, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, coming back in the second time is always much more difficult than the first time. And so that's why as you extricate yourself from these situations, you've got to come up with plans that allow you to continue to provide leverage in a sustainable manner. What are things you can do in a sustainable manner over the horizon through allies, et cetera, that don't require sort of a huge reintroduction Uh, of U.S. capability, because that entails all kinds of political hurdles and, um, I think, resources that most people are unwilling to spend, and therefore the enemy knows that. They know that, that you don't have a sustainable plan. So I think part of this is developing a sustainable plan that the Taliban knows the U.S. is willing to execute.
3: Here is uh, what John Kirby said about what concerns – if you ask most Americans, they want the Afghanistan war to end. But if you ask the most Americans in their least recent poll what they're most concerned about, terror is one or two. You could honestly say the terror attacks from 9-11 happened there. They were were thought about there. They were executed here. And when it came to get it, we almost got bin Laden there. Found him in uh, Pakistan. Don't need to tell you that. Here's John Kirby, the spokesperson for the Pentagon – Talking about terror, cut 16.
6: The terrorism threat out of Afghanistan, at least as, as regards to threats to our interests and our, and our allies and partners outside and certainly at, at home, is greatly reduced from Afghanistan. That threat has largely metastasized elsewhere in places like northern Africa. And so we're, we're mindful of that and we're focused on that area as well.
3: Is that true now? And how quickly could that change if it is?
0: Well, that comes back to the point I made earlier, Brian, that as we're executing this withdrawal, there needs to be a couple of hard and fast red lines that we control, that we don't depend on somebody else. Number one, it's taking care of those that took care of us. Number two is we need to be very, very clear that the U.S. will not tolerate Afghanistan being a point from which you can export terrorism around the world, and at the first hint of that capability either being built or occurring, then the U.S. will come down hard and fast on that. That we cannot let Afghanistan be an exporter of transnational terrorism. I mean that that and and, and that we can mm-hmm. control, uh, and so I think we just need to be very clear about that and not uh, minimize it.
3: General, you know this has not been a hot war for since 2014. We went to a different posture, and they really haven't lost a soldier, I don't believe, or anybody in the military for a year and a half. So it's not a hot war by any account. Um, who wins as we leave?
0: You know, so when you look through the history of warfare, who wins and who won— uh, really depends on sort of what phase of that you're on. Um, and so, you know, we all have these pictures in Saigon of the helicopters pulling off the U.S. embassy and people holding on to the skids. And, you know, you could say that that is not a win for America at that point in time. Uh, but that is a snapshot in time. And that is why, you know, this as it's unfolding is not what we would have wanted 20 years ago. But again, 20 years ago, we didn't even want 9-11. We've got to take the long-term view on this and come up with a – we can't be re-engineering this every three months. We have to come up with a sustainable plan, a sustainable policy, and one that we have a, a lot of control over and that it doesn't require somebody who is a faithless negotiator signing a worthless piece of paper. And so I think that's what we've got to focus on. How do we make sure in the future that the things that absolutely must not occur in Afghanistan do not occur? And how can we ensure that we can make that come to fruition?
3: What do you say to uh, families who've lost loved ones there, many of which you know, have lost limbs uh, and other things in the war in Afghanistan? And they are looking at themselves saying, was this worth it? What do you say to them?
0: Yeah. And so I, I'm not I I, I have. Face those families all too often. In a couple of weeks, we'll be doing a Gold Star family event, and so I have to be very honest with them and say, you know, these things are long-term projects. Uh, on the short term, Osama bin Laden's no longer with us. Uh, we have not had, uh, thank God, any uh, recent large-scale terrorist attacks in the U.S., and so it did change the the face of terrorism. Up until now it also showed the world and other terrorists uh, that there that we have the capability and it, with a commensurate will can do just about anything um, the fact that right now things aren't how as you may have wanted um, it I try to focus on this the, 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 there were some very important signals sent during since 9/11.
3: Absolutely. And uh, uh, General, you would consider when I met you in 2003, everyone said you got to keep your eye on uh, Colonel Perkins. He's going to be something special. And within, you know, 10 years, you're a brigadier general. And now you left a four star general. When you look at your career, knowing you have so many good years ahead, are you proud of what you accomplished?
0: I, I tell you, that, so the thing that I am uh, most grateful for are just the thousands of great Soldiers that I got to work with and and really um, quintessential salt of the earth Americans, and it really gives me um, great encouragement for the future to say, well, all those people that I got to work with in the Army, they're all back in the United States and all walks of life and all 50 states, and uh, they will be able to handle whatever comes of them, regardless what walk of life they're in, and the fact that they were able to take a portion of their life and dedicate it to this nation and put their life on the line, and with way too many of them, make the ultimate sacrifice. I'm just proud that I got to spend a short time with people like that.
3: Right. And uh, David Perkins, uh, you're also the one to the first into Baghdad with who led the 2nd Brigade 3rd Infantry during the invasion of Iraq, the Thunder Run. Uh, General, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for taking some time out of your retirement to analyze something, you know, quite well.
0: All right. Have a great day.
3: Go get him, uh, General David Perkins. When we come back, your calls 1-866-408-7669.
2: Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: Days a virus here. It kills people, and the only way we prevent it is, is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom, because with freedom comes obligations and uh, and responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z. When you affect other people,
3: Really? So I can't do anything? You know, you could affect other people, too, by driving in traffic. Uh, That affects me. It delays me getting home. I have freedom not to take that road. Uh, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger's off on this, totally. Number one, stop with the surfaces and washing your hands. We don't need to do that. That's called hygiene theater. We've already been through that and misled by Anthony Fauci. Number two, if you've been vaccinated, the chance outdoors of wearing a mask, we were told that wasn't a problem. Uh, We were told that was a problem, wear a mask everywhere. That wasn't true. Indoors, they still haven't done studies to show that masks even help remotely. So until they start doing those studies, I'm not going to buy it. Uh, if I have to do it in order to get to a restaurant vaccinated, whatever. You make that call, you're a private business. But in California, where he is, they are now making all teachers get inoculated. I know in the military, everybody's got to get inoculated. I think when it comes to the general public, I think when you're tar- starting to make medical decisions for an entire population, that's been a, been a little bit problematic. Uh, meanwhile, I was, I was saying before, you could email me, and a lot of people are. Here's from uh, Bob, says, I appreciate your optimism when it comes to the, uh, the second $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill. However, I don't share it. How many of the 19 votes who voted for the f- uh, bipartisan bill, my guess, they'll vote for this bill. Uh, Joe Manchin won't even matter. They're not. There's not one Republican in either body that will vote for the $3.5 trillion. None. There's not, I mean, Mitt Romney, you consider him liberal, not when it comes to taxes, but another thing, sure. He's not going to vote for this. It makes no sense. It's purely Bernie Sanders' agenda, which America and Democrats rejected. This is a payoff to the left to get them to do other things, and we got to pay the price. By the way, it's all our money. Go to Briankillme.com, write me, and we'll talk about it, or order any of my books like Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers.
9: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the
2: Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, I'm so proud that you are here with us at a time in which there's a huge volume of news in which many people thought, well, wow, this summer is going to be slow. There's not going to be much going on. Really? is anyone paying attention to Washington? You're paying attention to our, our despicable, disgraced governor of New York. You're watching what's happening at the border. we got to go over and provide the insight because nobody else is. one You can write me, BrianKilmeade.com. In a matter of moments, we're going to be going over the state of our economy, not only what the polls say, but what the dollars and cents reveal. And that is with Charles Payne, one of the smartest guys you will talk to, especially you watch him star over on FBN and all around our channel uh, with and sometimes instead of uh, Neil Cavuto. And then we're going to talk to Frank Siller. He's doing a great thing for Tunnel to Towers Foundation as the founder, as the chairman. He is uh, creating more. Awareness of those who sacrificed so much 20 years since 9 11 attacks by walking to uh, Shanksville, uh, to Washington, and then up to New York, arriving here on foot, by the way, arriving here um, for right before the Saturday of 9 11, uh, all for his Tunnel to Towers Foundation. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. No one will ever describe. My administration is a toxic work environment. No one has named, who is named as anything, doing anything unethical in the report will remain in my administration. There'll be turnover. There'll be turnover. My administration will be fully transparent when I'm governor. I'm not governor yet.
3: The Cuomo, the Cuomo calamity. Why is he still here? Why did he give us 14 days? That's the sentiment in Albany as disgraced Governor Cuomo, sticks around for two more weeks, his legal peril, and why some say he's not close to going away.
5: Number two, I don't want to hear anything about COVID cases in Florida, mass mandates in New York, vaccine passports. I don't want to hear anything about that until the Biden administration deals with the crisis they created on our southern border. There is no other conclusion any rational person can reach other than this is intentional.
3: Yep, Jim Jordan, I understand your passion. Nonsensical. That's what even the Washington Post says about Biden's border policy. Now that July numbers are in, it's over 200,000. A Record numbers of illegal breach our borders, many carrying the deadly virus. Something has to change quick.
6: Number
4: one. We're also made clear to OPEC, the major oil exporting nations of the world, that the production cuts made during the pandemic should be reversed as the global economic as a global economy recovers in order to lower prices for consumers. Do you believe
3: he just said that? Hey, OPEC, pump some oil. No, that's not a quote from Richard Nixon or Gerald Ford's. It's from the fossil fuel hating Joe Biden. You just heard him, and it's his answer to the surging gas prices causing inflation. Both part of what's taking him and his party down as he struggles to keep them all together to pass an unthinkable, unnecessary. $4 trillion Bernie Sanders inspired Socialist Free Money Buffet. And joining us now, a man who doesn't believe free and money belong in the same sentence, Charles Payne, host of Making Money from 2 to 3 on FBN. Charles, welcome back.
12: Hey, it's great to be back.
3: Hey, Charles, I can only hope it fails, but if it doesn't, what does it mean for inflation, which is outstripping wage gains right now for this economy? Joe Manchin came out and said something. I believe it's going to overheat the economy. We're not in the Great Depression, not in the Great Recession. Why are we doing this?
12: It's, uh, it, Brian, it's the, this is the ultimate way to do two things uh, that are high on the wish list for liberals. Uh, obviously, expand big government to ultra big. I mean, just omnipotent. Uh, Buy votes. And and, and 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 also in another way to sort of keep people addicted to what they're doing. I mean, this free money thing has been so mind boggling. And it's so interesting to me because they must know in the White House, this is a huge gamble. Uh, I've looked at polls from liberal organizations like NPR, <clears throat> the number one by the number one concern in this country right now is inflation. More than wages, more than everything else. And the reason why it is eating up everything. You know, here's the thing. Every month, wages have gone up. But when you adjust for inflation, they are getting crushed. They are getting pummeled. Uh, so yeah, so interesting. You you get, let's say you make a thousand a week and all of a sudden you got 1100 bucks a week. You go to the grocery store and you end up coming out with less bags. (laughs) So people, that's what, that's the real life that people live in. And you can talk to them and you can tell them all of these wonderful things. Um, But they know at the end of the day what you're saying doesn't make sense because they know what's in their pocket or what's not in their pocket. That part, but the other part, you know, these, these things where you just are changing who we are as a country. You're making us less competitive. You're making us more reliant. It is really a scary time. Essentially, I think the philosophy behind all of this is that this administration has lost, or maybe they never had, uh, the the belief that the American people can do better. Like this is it. We peaked. Let's split the spoils and let's and let's move sideways from here on out.
3: And I'll add something else that the successful have cheated, and they've had it too good for so long. And it's up to Bernie Sanders to be Robin Hood, steal from them and and destroy, uh, steal from them, and give people money that uh, in many cases they don't did not earn in almost all cases, and tell them they can't succeed without their help. What what happened to that capitalistic principle? I mean, you know, I understand maybe greed is good, is not the best buzz, you know, is not the best motto for America. But the more successful and driven Americans are, the more uh, the more other Americans can be inspired and maybe work for those right. people as they make right. gains.
12: Right. Every everybody who becomes rich has coattails. So, you know, and and, and, and here's what I don't like, the really I think is the most insidious part of all of it. For years, it was Walmart, right? They hated Walmart, uh, even though they had one and a half million employees, and they brought businesses and prices, cheap prices, to rural America so that they had a higher living standard. They hated Walmart. That was their number one boogeyman. Now it's Amazon and Jeff Bezos. But all of this stuff, every time they talk about Jeff Bezos, my wallet gets smaller. <laughs> so his doesn't because they have an army. They've got an army of people that will find a way for it not to hit them. So they create these poster childs for unbridled greed to justify these attacks that really, I'm telling you, it always hits uh, the, the the guy who owns the construction company, the woman who owns a plumbing company. She has five trucks, and now she's getting two more if, she, if, if the taxes don't eat it up. And that's, what, that's the conveyor belt that takes people from one level of wealth to another. That takes their kids from one level to another. That takes their neighborhood and their community from a level of wealth to a higher level of wealth. That's the American promise. That's the American dream. That's what they're cutting off. That is what they're cutting off. And and uh, again, when you cut that off, what do you look to? You look to the state to take over and to be the provider.
3: Absolutely. So I want to tell you, to back up what you're saying in terms of the Fox News poll that came out yesterday – they were asked, Are you concerned about inflation? 86% said yes. Now it was 83, which is extremely high in June. If you asked that two years ago, we hadn't had inflation in the longest time. People said, Yeah, I'm worried about it, but you know, we won't really see it. Only 14% weren't. In terms of hourly wages, see if this number jives with you. Hourly wages are gone up 4%, but inflation has gone up 5.4%. That's what you meant by uh, less bags you're leaving the grocery store with. Right. Does it bother you at right. all that most Americans? Are for this three point five trillion dollar aid package
12: it bothers me that when the question is asked to most americans it's it's a disingenuous way of asking you know um it's 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 when you start to say it's are you for better roads and bridges of course, are you for you know better help to the elderly of course. But when you start to nuance it and really say what it's all about, when you start to say, well, are you for something that's going to stop your kids from having a better life? The answer is no. So, you know, these sort of polls have always made me angry. Uh, they've always frustrated me uh, because they're they just they're not nuanced enough for people to really be giving a sincere answer. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, the, 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 are you for higher prices? Do you want to leave the grocery store with fewer bags next time you go shopping? That should be the first question. The second question, do you want your kids to be lazy, not to have any inspiration, and to look to the state to provide them with their future? That should be the second question. I can give them a whole new set of questions yep. on the same topic and get you a whole different set of answers.
3: Understood. So here's the numbers. Uh, Fox News poll on the infrastructure plan on roads and bridges, I guess the $1.2 in which Nancy Plus says is not nearly enough, which is unbelievable. 62% are in favor of that. Uh, on the other one that provides child care, elder care, climate and health that you mentioned, $3.5 trillion, 56 are in favor of that. But you're saying that it's not that the question is wrong. It's that it's not complete because there's, it's not, not, there's ask, no free it's lunch. That's not
12: being asked properly. Are you, are you for spending $200 to fill up your gas tank to go to work? Question number four. I mean, these, it's, it's, the, the, the war on fossil fuels has already sent gas prices up over 100%. Yesterday, President Biden asked OPEC. OPEC to print more, to produce fact, more oil. In fact, let's while, while hear that demonizing American producers.
3: Let's let's listen to this, Charles. This was stunning to me. Cut one.
4: Recently, we've seen the price that oil companies pay for a barrel of oil begin to fall, but the cost of gasoline is at the pump for more American people hasn't fallen. That's not what you'd expect in a competitive market. I want to make sure that nothing stands in the way of oil price declines leading to lower prices for consumers. We also made clear to OPEC, the major oil exporting nations of the world, that the production cuts made during the pandemic should be reversed as the global economic there's a global So economy. so
3: we're not supposed to drill, we're not supposed to explore, we can't use pipelines, but let's let the Middle East do it because they're so <laughs> dependable. It worked out so well for the previous 55 years.
12: Great paying jobs. Money that stays here, that's, in, you know, these, these, by the way, these construction projects to build the facilities, to maintain the facilities, uh, the, the jobs that support them, we're talking an extra five, ten jobs per each job, uh, energy independence. I mean, the list goes on and on. and Instead, uh, they're going to, he's, it really boggles the mind. This is the same president who won't, believe me, try to open up a, a oil refinery in this country. You're not going to be able to. So, it, if it, so, for him to say the energy oil prices went from 75 to 69, so instantaneously, uh, gas prices should be lower. We don't even have a way to refine it. You know, it's it's there's so many embedded obstacles and speed bumps to getting energy prices down. But the most important thing is that President Biden declared war. He declared war on fossil fuels. And let me tell you something. You go back to November 2nd. Uh, our oil price was thirty-five bucks, and it went back and went from there. To, this is right before the election. He won. He declared war on fossil fuels. He took it from thirty-five to seventy-five dollars. That is on him.
9: Period.
3: It is, but he wants electric cars and he wants the environment saved. So, what do you want him to do? Can he have both things, Charles? You can't listen. the The way our the way capitalism works,
12: if there's an opportunity. We're going to seize it. And there will be an opportunity for things like electric vehicles. There will be an opportunity for those. But right now, people don't really want it unless it's a Tesla. You know, nobody really wanted the Leaf and the Bolt and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And so instead of taking taxpayer money and giving rich people who buy Teslas $12,000, you know, <laughs> he can maybe provide that extra child care he was talking about. Uh, you know, instead of taking uh, taxpayer money and paying student loans for the people in our society who make the most money— Maybe he can do the elder care he was talking about, but there's a natural pro- progression to all of this. Everything, the, the fact that I'm doing this for your radio show on a cell phone from a different state and it sounds crystal clear, was the was the fact that it was an opportunity out there that a business saw and they created. There's going to be opportunities for all those things. They're creating a false demand for it. Uh, if you say there's if you if you make combustion engines illegal, then we'll all be driving electric vehicles. But don't tell me we want it. Uh, and so it's 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 unfortunate because in the meantime, look at the price we're paying don't forget these numbers thirty five bucks before the election seventy five bucks a week ago that's what's happening that's when you artificially try to do something, force something on a public that's not ready for it a society that's ready for it and I, and our whole country's not ready for all of this stuff. They could do it they could let it happen in a much more progressive to you to, know way uh uh in orderly way rather. Than what they're doing right now. It's okay. always about ramming their ideas, their wish list, their utopia down our throats.
3: Last question: To pay for the 3.5 trillion, amongst the things they're going to do is tax those horrible rich people, but also double the um, the capital gains tax from 23 to 43, or from 25 to 45, so almost double it, virtually double it, and they're going to also up the corporate tax rate. Will that bring in the revenue they want? What kind of re- what kind of retribution? What 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 kind of reaction will we get if that happens?
12: You get less investment. You get less investment. Um, you know, part of investing is risk reward. Capital gains come because you had a gain, but before you even had those gains, you had to make a a, a choice on whether or not you wanted to take the risk. Now, if on top of me taking a risk that means I could lose, but also in addition to losing, when I win I still lose, then why would I even do it? Right. So, I mean, you know, you're going to turn my life into a scratch off game. Uh, and so right. as far as um, as far as the the other stuff is concerned, we saw in, in 2018 when President Trump's corporate tax cuts went to effect, an interesting thing happened. Blue collar wages exploded like they hadn't exploded in more than a decade. For the first time, blue collar wages were up more than three percent a year. They were ahead of inflation and they were ahead of overall wages. That's what we saw. That was a direct correlation. Uh, when you start to when you start to put more pressure on these companies, they got to find a way to make it up. So if you want to tax them more, that means less service, fewer workers. Uh, it, it go down the line. It, it's it's not it's not positive. It's a negative. Yep. And negatively, it's going to hurt all of us.
3: Well, Charles, I don't know what state you're in and which cell phone you're using, but I'm glad you did. You did sound crystal clear. <laughs> He's the host of Making Money Between Two and Three FBN, and you'll see him all over the channel. Charles, thanks so much.
9: See you later, buddy. You got it.
3: Uh, When we come back, it's going to be you, 1-866-408-7669. Dan, we're uh, we're catching up with one of the great Americans out there today, Frank Siller, chairman and CEO of Talented Towers Foundation, as he's walking 500 miles to salute those who lost so much on 9-11.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade Senate passed President Biden's 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill with bipartisan support. That's that's good news. That's positive. That's right. A trillion dollars to fix our roads, bridges, and airports. So after they finish Laguardia, that'll leave us with about 40 bucks.
3: All right, <laughs> it's just one of those things. You know, it's infrastructure humor. It's hard to make it work.
13: It's hard to make it work, and I mean considering. He- I feel like that's a plus. He made it sort of work considering late night has fallen so flat.
3: I was just thinking I would have, if I was ever dating, I would have the worst dating app because I actually love uh, talking about infrastructure and figuring all this stuff. And the other thing I like is trade. So you could imagine if I'm actually being honest on a dating app, you know, join me. (laughs) any night where we can talk about infrastructure and international trade.
13: Bridges, tunnels. Right. And I'll
3: talk a little sports.
13: Honestly, I bet there's probably some wonky app like that for D.C. residents.
3: You think so? Maybe. Carrie, listening to WHIO uh, in Dayton. Carrie.
10: Hi, Brian. I heard you talking to Charles Payne just a little while ago, and I think you made an offhand comment. I'm not sure you realize what you said, but you, you said Bernie was trying to make himself out to be Robin Hood please we got to get these stories right robin hood was not robbing from random rich he was robbing from a tyrannical illegitimate government and giving back to the people who the government had already stolen it from. yeah i've you know i've never seen it
3: Uh, i know like they had robin hood real men in tights or something like that that was out for a while what i was trying to say is he wants to steal from the rich and give to the poor poor
7: uh well bernie sanders is the sheriff of nottingham in this scenario as far as i'm concerned
3: Good point. Uh, but all I'm going to say is, it, no one voted for Bernie Sanders' agenda. So why are we getting it to please to, to please seven extremists on the Democrat in the Democratic Party? And I don't think we should take it. My hope is it's going to implode. I'll lay it out right after Frank Siller joins me next.
9: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of the Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's
2: Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring in Frank Sillers, Chairman and CEO of the Towers Foundation. Uh, you know, uh, Frank, he created this after his brother died, trying to save uh, thousands uh, for who would lose their lives in the in the World Trade Center. Frank started his Never Forget Walk on August 1st. Over the course of 42 days, uh, he'll travel 500 miles from the Pentagon to Shanksville to the World Trade Center to bring more attention to his organizations created just to help those who lost so much on 9-11. Frank, where are you? How are you? <laughs>
14: i am good i am walking right now on the cno trail uh which is the uh chesapeake and ohio canal trail heading uh towards cumberland maryland and then from cumberland maryland i'll be heading up to shanksville for a week from this saturday i'll be in uh in shanksville and i'm heading uh, east back to new york to be at ground zero as you said on the 20th anniversary of 9 11. but uh, I started in D.C. like you said on August 1st. I've been to Arlington, Falls Church, Vienna. is all in Virginia: Reston, Herndon, Sterling, Ashburn, Leesburg, Percival, Roundhill, Berryville, Winchester, and Gore, uh, Virginia and in West Virginia. I was in Captain Ridge, uh, Slainsville, Little Captain, and Powhatan, and now I'm, I'm in, in Maryland. So it's been quite a journey, and I'm meeting so many beautiful people. So
3: it's very it's been inspiring. How many sneakers? Have you been through?
14: (laughs) Well, I rotate sneakers uh, twice a day. I wear two different sneakers because I usually go anywhere like eight miles in the morning and then another five to seven in the, uh, you know, take a little break and then go for another five to uh, to seven more miles. So I I rotate two a day and I uh, I rotate. I have about eight pairs of sneakers with me. So every four days I put the same ones back on. So twice, you know. That's the math on that, but they're great sneakers and my feet are very comfortable and uh, and I'm walking with great people that inspired me. I have a great team that figured out every step along the way, so it's uh, it's it's uh, it's been incredible. Look, we got to make sure that people don't forget, Brian, what happened 20 years ago, and that's what this walk is all about, to make sure that we shine a big light on the sacrifice that was made, not just by my brother, but by so many first responders and others that uh, gave their lives to save uh, to save people on, on, on 9-11. And how about the 7,000 men and women that have died ever since protecting our country? Most people don't know that. Right. Uh, no, we need people right. to join us. Brian, uh-huh. go to T2T.org. I know you say it all the time because you are a great supporter yourself, uh, but I need a million people to join us. Go to T2T.org. A million people join us. Donate $11 a month. I We could take care of everything Every every firefighter, every military personnel that gives a life to that country every year. That's what a million people can do at $11 a
3: month. Right. And, and that's what so many are doing uh, for you. How many people have you helped? How many families have you helped? And how many still are out there?
14: Well, uh, so we this year alone will be delivering 200 mortgage-free homes. And that's also smart homes that we build for the most catastrophically injured service members. And there's still hundreds of them. That are still waiting for these type of smart homes, and each one of these smart homes costs well over a half a million dollars. There's so many gold star families that lost their loved one years ago. we just get to some people have been waiting for 10 years, uh, you know, to, and, and and we're getting to help them because it, ta- it it costs a lot of money. You could do the math, Brian. Right? You have a mortgage. Do 200. You know, we're going to deliver 200 homes this year. Do 200 times your mortgage. You know how many millions of dollars that we have to raise. Uh, But you ask the question is how many more people, and and there's a lot more. We will have raised – we'll deliver 450 mortgage-free homes so far, um, and uh, we need a lot more. So that's why we need people to join us.
3: So what has it been like uh, retracing those steps? I mean, this is a lot of time uh, to walk and think and knowing that it's going to culminate – When you get to downtown New York City, it is going to be packed 20 years from now.
14: Uh, Yeah, it's going to be uh, on 9-11. I'm going to be walking through the tunnel just like my brother ran through the tunnel 20 years ago. The big difference, I'm walking uh, to honor what he did. He ran through there knowing that there was a good chance that when he got to the other side that he might not be coming home to his wife and five kids. He was the youngest of seven of us siblings was our little brother. We helped raise him. My parents died when he was a little boy. Uh, so it's going to be very emotional. And it will be packed this year uh, down at Ground Zero, no question about it. And, and I'm happy about that because I want to make sure that people don't forget. But here's the thing, Brian, next year is even more important because, you know, a lot of people will rally because it's the 20th year. Uh, but we've got to make sure every year uh, that uh, this country, Uh, Tells the truth and what happened 20 years ago—that some Islamic terrorists tried to kill as many Americans as possible, and they did kill 2,977.
3: So, what do you think about this new push for the 9/11 families to get answers about Saudi Arabia?
14: Well, I think it's great. Uh, I I think we need all the answers that we can get. We need the truth. The truth should just always come out, no matter if it's good or bad. You just got to—you just got to—we have to find out what, what what happened and who was involved, and we have to. Uh, make sure that we don't let anyone get away with it because then they'll get away with it again. So I love that a lot of 9-11 families are going after that. It's not what I do. I back them. Uh, You know, we're taking care of uh, our mission is to make sure that we pay off the mortgages for these great heroes that die in the line of duty for our country or our communities. Uh, But uh, I love that they're trying to get the information out.
3: Great. Uh, Frank Ziller, help them out, T2T.org. Uh, thanks so much for what you're doing. We're going to check in with you throughout your journey. The next st- the next time you will rest is how many miles today, and the next time you will rest and maybe do an appearance is when?
14: Well, I- I'm going to be uh, 15 miles today, um, and uh, so I'll be resting a, a little while because I started before uh, the sunrise because it's 100 degrees here uh, where I'm walking right now. Uh, it's not quite 100 yet, but it will be 100 in another hour or so. Um, and um, I will have done probably over two. Next time I talk to you, I'm sure I'll be over 250 miles uh, done out of the uh, 537 that uh, that needs to be done. So that'll be next week sometime. I'll I'll be more past the halfway mark.
3: And, what, and just to run through your team, the names of everybody walking with you.
14: Well, right now, I have Larry Olson. Uh, Larry heads up our, our, our communication and PR team. He takes pictures and stuff. His team uh, are with me every single day. I have my trainer, who you know her family very well, uh, Shannon Horgan. Uh, I th- I believe you said you coached her brother in soccer, which is it's a small yep. world out Billy there. Horgan. Yep. You can't make this stuff up.
15: Yeah, Billy
14: Horgan, right? Um, um, and then I have... Uh, uh, John Huvein, John Huvein is tied a, to a, a, a detective, who uh, who really uh, makes sure that everything is uh, in the order it should be. Uh, and uh, Peter O'Toole is the lifelong friend of my brother. He's in the lead car for me at all times, uh, the flashing car to protect me because I have a car in front of me, a car behind me because a lot of times I'm on the on the um, on the highway. And then like my wife, uh, Patricia walked with me uh, yesterday. In this heat, she did the uh, better part of 15 miles with me yesterday. My brother-in-law, John, I have a, a, pl- a firefighter <laughs> captain coming in later today to welcome me tomorrow. Jo- jo- uh, Rob Jones, uh, Rob Jones, double amputee, is walking with me. Uh, he's going to do, I think, uh, 8 or 10 miles with me in the morning. Uh, Rob Jones, and I have Navy SEALs that will be coming in. I have different firefighters from all over. I have a team of, so far, there's about 15 New York City firefighters who come and with me like, say, four or five every single day. They make brunch for me uh, so I don't have to worry about a restaurant or what I'm eating, and then they do dinner at 5 o'clock every day. We eat the same time every single day, and they have it like firehouse food. It's, like, uh, it's just unbelievable. So this is the team that travels with me. The New York City firefighter, police officers, they have been off the charts uh, taking care of me and making sure that uh, I'm I'm fed and and well taken care of. So I had Mark Wahlberg donate. Two RVs. He's got an RV business out in Ohio. He gave me two RVs to travel with us, so we have the RVs right right with us. We have to use a restroom or etc. Get out of the heat. Uh, so it goes on and on. And then General Motors, uh, they've been uh, they've been so good to us. They gave me two uh, vehicles also uh, to go here. But they also just auctioned off the first Hummer. Uh, Electric Hummer ever raised two point five million for us, and then Home Depot. Wow. I've been stopping at Home Depot because they've been—they give us millions of dollars every year too. So, but eleven dollars, I count on because we're a grassroots. A foundation so i need the eleven dollars a month so i don't want people to think that we have a couple of great companies that yeah. help us i need the eleven dollars a month cause that's, and you don't that's need it
3: we'll the, these families need it uh frank you don't, you <laughs> yes, don't yeah exactly uh frank uh, it's, it's a great thing you're doing but you do that every day but this especially uh it's a 500 mile plus walk to three most important places on nine eleven. frank stiller thanks so much talented towers foundation t2t.org and just know your dollars are going to the right place frank continue success stay healthy Thank you, Brian. God bless you. God bless America. All right, you got it. And tell that whole team we said hi. Alex, listen on WABC. You know the Tallented Towers Foundation well, I imagine, in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex.
8: Brian, yeah, thanks for taking my call. And I'm calling about the southern border crisis because if the Biden administration is allowing illegal immigrant kids that are at our southern border into our country yes. because they feel bad for those kids, and that's causing more parents to send their kids on this long and dangerous journey, why doesn't the Biden administration provide transportation for those kids instead of having these kids' lives endangered when they go with MS-13 members, coyotes, etc., we could charge those parents, the money that they'd be giving MS-13, and, and we could provide the transportation and housing
15: for those kids. Instead, now we have MS-13 is blowing up in Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras,
3: and in our country to some extent as well. Okay, a couple of things. I appreciate your heart's in the right place, but I don't think you're thinking it through. There's a process for refugees to come to our country. I don't care if you're in Romania, Australia, or Ecuador. We can't have people just storming into our border. It's not going to work. It's not fair. It's not fair to the Mexicans waiting to come here the right way and to go through the process. Norwegians who want to come here the right way or Bolivians who want to come here the right way. If the kids want to come here by themselves, they got to be told they're going to be turned around and flown back to where they came from. It'll take a month. Word will get out. We'll stop the catastrophe in its tracks. I don't want kids to show up anymore. I don't want to pay to get them here. If they're in a dire situation, it's about to Rwanda revisit it, I get it. That's called emergency refugee status. If you want to make it easier to come here through rules and regulations that are legislative, I'm all for that. Because I think a lot of our stuff's archaic. But we can't get anywhere without border security. Nobody's talking border unless they secure it first. And right now they're trying to destroy it and take it apart. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Joe, WABC, in the Bronx. Joe.
10: Good morning. Uh, once again, focusing on the southern border, uh, just want to quote a statistic from the Pew Research Center. Uh, it came out in uh, around 2015 and 2016, around the uh, time Trump first got elected. Uh, and that is uh, 50, excuse me, of the Hispanic population in the United States, 75% of the Hispanic population with children in the United States use some form of welfare, whether immigrant or not. Okay. That being said, that is connected directly with the massive spending that's going on in Washington, uh, D.C. right now. Not only uh, causing inflation, but debasing the currency in the uh, international uh, market. You know, so basically, a lot of investors that invest in U.S. bonds, you know, uh, overseas, they're going to realize that we're putting on more debt. We have a debt to GDP ratio that's unsustainable, and that is largely driven by social spending. It's nuts. Okay, And again, the southern border, most of the immigrants that come here, most of the immigrants across the uh, southern border are not only Hispanic, but they're also in favor of big government with lots of free stuff paid for by American taxpayers, yeah. who in many cases don't even qualify for what they're paying for.
3: I hear you. Thanks so much. I'm up against a break. I appreciate it, Joe. Uh, appreciate the thought you put into it, too. I do know this. The characteristics of the Hispanic people that I have met, work with, and seen work uh, has been fantastic, family-oriented, incredible work ethic. Uh, they're not looking for a handout. They're just looking for an opportunity to work. But that's not the point. How you get here matters. And then we have a system, and then we know how to how go through the pride of becoming an American. Don't look to circumvent the system and wait for some ridiculous reconciliation package that will erroneously make you a citizen because you're not going to appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much, and special thanks to Frank Siller for joining us to this hour. When we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know or take your calls. Can't wait to find out what we decide. one 408 7669
2: A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
9: With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about
2: it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi,
3: everybody. Uh, welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, of course, uh, the number to call 1-866-408-7669. But I just got word uh, that we need to know more.
2: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's eight three three six gold
3: all right, uh, in a study released on Wednesday, NASA researchers said that the chance of Bennu, the asteroid, hitting Earth through the year 20, 2300 is about 1 in 1,750. They also found September 24, 2182. I'm pretty sure our show will be the number one syndicated show in America by then. Uh, the most significant date for impact uh, with a probability of 1 in 2,700. I tell you this because an asteroid, if it does hit the Earth, it won't be good. There's a reason why the Tyrannosaurus Rex is not roaming the Earth right now. We're pretty sure it was an asteroid. Isn't that right, Eric? Isn't this pretty much... Di- All signs it- point to asteroids still. Yeah. Right. We're still... But we have not seen... We have no eyewitnesses.
2: Not as of now. Okay.
3: You're still looking? I'm looking. Next. Jeopardy! producer Mike Richards has named himself permanent host of the Syndicated Game Show. Another woman I don't know, but everyone else does. Mayhem Bialik. A Bialik? Is on tap to host the primetime and spinoff series.
13: You don't know her? No. Who she is was Blossom. What's him, and then what she was it? on Third Rock from the Sun. Really? Oh, Brian. Uh,
3: maybe if I saw her. Uh, we look up. I did see her. It doesn't look familiar. I don't. What is Blossom?
13: It was a show. I, probably um, after your time, but it was a show when I was younger. But don't you think it's kind of weird
3: that he picks himself? I mean, the guy's a good-looking guy. He doesn't look like a. He doesn't look like he doesn't but belong they, on TV. He
13: but... said he didn't pick himself.
4: He's, he didn't pick himself? No, other, other people. Producer.
13: They said other people didn't. There was an interesting sort of write-up saying, you have to give it time. When you name a new host, they always get you know a lot of bad press. You know, even when um, they named um, Drew Carey for The Price is Right, people didn't love that at first, and now they're happy with it. So you got to give it a few years.
3: Well, I will give it a few years. I just thought that it would be, why did you go through the g- gymnastics of bringing in Joe Buck and, Katie Couric, and he, all these others. But they
13: always do. That. They're like, it was just, uh, you know, a ploy. But, but they did it with right, uh, Kelly and Ryan. They did it. Um, what other shows did they do it for I know, the- but they
3: didn't name... Uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Gelman. Gelman, the, the co-host. Dick Cheney. N- Next. Nate Brilson will join Gail King and, uh, and Tony, unpronounceable name, DeCopple. as co-host of... Uh, what is it? Copal. Okay, DeCopol As co-host of CBS This Morning... Uh, Anthony Mason will move to some other reporter position. Nate Brilson's great on, on Good Morning Football. He does a really good job on the NFL pregame show. I'm just CBS. I'm just wondering, got a lot of personality wide receiver the Vikings and other teams. I'm That's a big leap. It is. They
13: had him fill in a little bit um, when I think Tony DeCoppo took off. They just had a baby. Um, he was good. He was, you know, very dynamic. I think it's interesting moving Anthony Mason. Um, but, you know. That show they need to tweak a little it bit. It
3: is dead. I watched it a few times. Dead. Next, Guy Fieri invents the apple pie hot dog. Have you seen this? It's an apple pie. It's a hot dog in the middle of what looks like an apple pie pie, but it's small. looks like a bun. Genius, though, right? It'll probably sell a zillion. I'm sure. And they're going to have it at the— stadium deal. Yeah, they're going to have it, too, right at the Field of Dreams. The Field of Dreams in Iowa, where uh, where Fox will be televising the game at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock pre, uh, pregame tonight, Thursday— and uh, they're going to be having the Yankees against the White Sox in the same field, Field of Dreams, from the movie, 1989, Kevin Costner starred, to me, one of the top three movies of all time.
13: I assume you'll be watching.
3: I think this will be big ratings. Baseball needs something.
13: I will say everyone was talking about this morning, not just Fox.
3: Really? Mm-hmm. Thank you.
9: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: From the Fox News radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Tucker Carlson will join me shortly. His book, already a bestseller, on the Amazon list, The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism. He'll be with us at the bottom of the arrow, Michael Loftus, one of the funniest comedians in America today. Back on the road, what's it like trying to fill up these theaters, writing for sitcoms, uh, at the same time knowing that tomorrow they could be saying, we're closed," And that's just uh, one of the challenges of making a living on stage uh, as a stand-up comedian, even when you get to his level, Michael Loft is shortly and he doesn't he does this horrible thing called I'm a Trump supporter and not embarrassed about it. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three.
1: No one will ever describe my administration as a toxic work environment. No one has named who is named as anything doing anything unethical in the report will remain in my administration. There'll be turnover. There'll be turnover. My administration will be fully transparent when I'm governor. I'm not governor yet.
3: Uh, Here we go. Lieutenant Governor Hochul wondering why the Cuomo calamity continues. Why is he still here? That's the sentiment in Albany and around the country as disgraced Governor Cuomo sticks around for two more weeks. His legal peril and why some say he's not close to going away.
5: Number two, I don't want to hear anything about COVID cases in Florida, mass mandates in New York, vaccine passports. I don't want to hear anything about that until the Biden administration deals with the crisis they created on our southern border. There is no other conclusion any rational person can reach other than this is intentional.
3: Nonsensical. That's what even the Washington Post says about the biden border policy. And now the July numbers are in. It's over 200,000 illegals. It's a record number breaching our border, many carrying a deadly virus. Are you kidding? In what country would this be okay? Not in this one.
6: Number one.
4: We're also made clear to OPEC, the major oil-exporting nations of the world, that the production cuts made during the pandemic should be reversed as the global economic there's uh, a global economy recovers in order to lower prices for consumers
3: Ugh, I've never seen someone wrestle with a prompter like that hey OPEC pump some oil no that's not a quote from Richard Nixon or Gerald Ford it's how fossil fuel hating Joe Biden and his answer to surging gas prices causing inflation both part of what's t- what is taking his party down as he struggles to keep his party on point and his unthinkable four trillion dollar plus Bernie Sanders socialist free money buffet going. And that could indeed be going over the next two weeks. Uh, joining me right now, a person who knows the inside of Washington and liked it so much he left. He does not want to know tell us exactly where he is, but I know the vicinity and I know he's happy. He is Tucker Carlson, author of The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism, just came out a couple of days ago. And we're for, for one of the first on his list. Tucker, welcome back.
8: <laughs> you were the best introducer of guests in the world. Yeah, it's unbelievable.
3: But you know what, Tucker? My problem is once the interview starts, I really don't know where to go. <laughs> but, but, you know, you know, it struck me. A couple of things struck me. Allison, uh, our fantastic producer here.
8: Oh, she! Uh, bad. I can't believe, Allison. How long has she been your producer?
3: Allison, how long have you been doing this?
13: A very long time.
3: Right. She uh, old <laughs> enough to have three I children. Love
12: uh, it's
8: just amazing. They're That's
3: amazing. You, you, you gotta wonder. You, I must be paying her so much. How much <laughs> am I paying, Alison? That's oh. not what I heard, but okay. <laughs> so she pointed this out right away. She said, "Go to this page. It's your acknowledgement. I'd like to acknowledge Jonathan Carp of Simon and Schuster, whose descent from open-minded book editor to cartoonish corporate censor mirrors the decline of America itself. It's been a sad education watching it happen, and he still published the book."
8: Well, I don't think they had a choice. Tr- you know, they felt they didn't have a choice. I mean, they you know, if they canceled my book for writing about how they canceled somebody else's book,
6: <laughs> I guess they
8: calculated that would be a bigger PR disaster than w- allowing my book to be published. But trust me, they didn't want they didn't want to publish it, and I didn't want to publish with them because I so deeply disapproved, but I was under contract and, you know, for a book with Simon & Schuster when they shut down Josh Hawley because he cast a vote that annoyed the Democratic Party, and then they they paid off the Biden administration by sending his son, you know, millions of dollars for a book nobody read. I mean, the whole thing was so disgusting that I felt implicated in it because I was taking money from Simon and & Schuster, and I and I thought, I don't know, I have a moral obligation to say something about this. So I did.
3: Uh, that's pretty brave, as usual. Um, so, so, Tucker, this is a... a, a A trip to a memory lane for you with magazine stories that brought you back to the time in America, not only the time in in interviews that you did and articles you wrote, but what America was going through. What perspective do you have on today by going back to the years in which you worked? Now you're in your 50s. You've been doing this since your 20s. What does it tell? What perspective did you gather from collecting all your past work?
8: Well, I mean, it was just bewildering. I I entered journalism 30 years ago this week, actually, weirdly. The Soviet Union had just collapsed like five days before. And I had, you know, I'd grown up in journalism. My dad was a journalist. And I thought, you know, I, I thought it was a very honorable thing to do. So, I mean, a couple of the big changes journalism is not an honorable profession. American journalism has collapsed. The people practicing it are contemptible disgusting I would never have dinner with them that's a huge change the country is completely divided in a way that it never was going back through these pieces I was shocked by the number of liberals and democratic office holders who I really liked and had you know I didn't agree with them I've never been a liberal I've never supported the democratic party but I had a million friends who were liberal and it it didn't divide us it wasn't the most important thing you know and now it is I mean I I couldn't have dinner with the people I ate dinner with 20 years ago. And a lot of the pieces in the book were published in the New York Times and Esquire and GQ and places that, you know, would never publish a story by me ever now. But it didn't seem weird then. I mean, it just wasn't as partisan and polarized a country, not even close. So that was really a shock for me.
3: couple of things. So I, I, I have an interesting perspective here because I've been at Fox now over 20 years and I know in the beginning wow. I would tell people I'm on Fox and, and even though Pop Fox was always popular, there's a lot of people that just not interested in the news. A lot of my friends are athletes and will follow sports and they're like, Oh, Brian, how was work? You know, and just to keep passing the time. Now I can't go anywhere without everyone thinking they know everything about everything, or at the very least have yeah. an opinion. So how that's did right. have you picked up that change?
8: I mean, it was such a profound change that I had to leave the city that I lived in for thirty five years, which was Washington. You know, we came to Washington when I was in high school. My dad left journalism, went to work for the Reagan administration for the federal government, was there a long time. And we lived in a very nonpartisan world. I mean, it was partisan by definition, but I mean we lived in Georgetown, you know, right next to a left wing senator, Democratic senator, who had gone weirdly to the same high school I went to. There I, I never felt you know, like yelling at him on the street or it was just normal, you know, you, you knew people who disagreed with you because it wasn't an entirely politicized country. You don't want a country where, you know, the outcome of elections determines everything. That's really scary. First of all, it gives way too much power to politicians. You know, you want a country where the big decisions have nothing to do with politics. You know, who do you marry? How do you raise your kids? What do you do for work? Where do you go to church? How's your team doing? Things like that. But if you live in a country where who you vote for defines you, you know that that is by definition an angry place. And I, I don't know how we walk back from that, but I agree with you. you get Being in our 50s, it's kind of sad because you have to get up in the middle of the night to take a leak. But the upside of it is you remember what it used to be, and so you have a little bit more perspective than, say, our kids do. They think it was always this way. It was not always this way. That's not true
3: couple of things. I do have a different perspective on that. Uh, if you sleep so little, you don't have to get up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so four hours. I don't, I don't find myself springing to the bathroom and then going back to bed. Once I'm up, it's into the shower. So I'll keep you up to date on how that's going. So either I'm going to get more sleep or my prostate's going to get worse. Um,
8: By the way, uh, your listeners, I know that they know what you're saying is true, but let me, I've seen it, so let me just verify what you're saying is true. No one has ever gotten, you You are like a longitudinal experiment on sleep deprivation torture, but you're still, I don't know how you're still alive. What's your secret? Right?
3: Are you, are you disappointed?
8: I'm just impressed. We've uh, talked about it so many times. My producer's like, you know, kill me. It's on it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> like you have to get up in three hours to host the morning show. For three hours, then do three hours of radio, and then he's like writing another book and doing documentaries. And and one of my producers I I have said a hundred times, like, how does Comey do that? And one of my producers looks at me right in the face and goes, Beet juice. That stuff works, man. The super <laughs> beats stuff, clearly.
3: <laughs> super beats. You're right. There's still a sponsor. Um Are you still drinking that stuff? Yeah, I mean I'll I'll yeah, i have Super Beats. They also have uh Super Beat shoes so that that definitely helps. You know, I I don't need a lot I don't need a lot of sleep. Plus, I'm always under the impression this job's gonna end tomorrow. And you know well, I it, I know the feeling right. And yeah. and you know it, like as, as talented as you are, you've had to move jobs in with all the well, skills that so you've funny.
8: had. Yeah, it's totally true. I mean I I grew up in La Jolla, California and Georgetown in a you know, affluent family or whatever, but I have a very much a working man's mentality about work. I don't know where it came from, probably from my dad, but like, yeah, I always think I'm going to get fired. I always think I should work as hard as I can because like it's going to be over soon. You know, I mean, I just I don't know where. Anyway, yes, I have the exact same attitude. I never turned that work. Ever. So,
3: so in, in these stories that you're writing about other people, you move out of the way and you tell the story. And I believe, in my humble opinion, that's the reason why this book works and why you work as a host is because you're willing to let somebody else be the story. I think so many times host thinks it's about them. And you had no problem moving over and letting someone shine in a segment. And that's one thing that comes across on your show. It's like, hey, this is what I think. Now this is what they think. And you'll let them finish. Was that intentional or was that instinct?
8: That is uh, a conscious effort not to become a talk show host. You know, they're the worst people in America. They're so insecure and boorish. They never shut up about themselves. And it just comes with the job. I mean, you've been doing it for decades. You know, after a while, you can't stop talking. You're always on transmit and never on receive. And so I just really try every morning to remind myself. Shut up once in a while. Listen to other people. There are other people in the world. It's not just about you. Like right. you you become a narcissist over time unless you really fight against it. And by the way, with age, you become a narcissist. You know, Old people only talk about themselves, and I just don't want to be that person. I'm sure I'll become that person anyway, but I really want to let other people talk just for the sake of my own soul. You know?
3: How much, in retrospect, in putting this book together, do you appreciate the wide swath of experiences and travel you've done? It allows your opinions to feel more natural and organic because you could do it from human experience, right? You're not getting reading somebody else to find out how you feel. Well, you were in Ghana, you know. You were in Europe. You were in, Af- you know, in Iraq, or excuse me, in Pakistan. You you travel these places, so when you come back and you react, you go, "Well, this is, this is what I think," and it's not where you have to depend on another source how much did your firsthand experience make you better on Tucker Carlson tonight Tucker Carlson today your fox nation series everything Tucker Carlson originals well, I
8: think a lot better I mean I think it's really important to go see stuff that's not why I did it though I didn't get into you know I don't I didn't do stories or get you know we just got back from Hungary this week and I I, I really have done everything in my life purely because I want an interesting life I didn't go into journalism to become powerful. I never thought I would make any money. I have. I'm really grateful for that. But that was certainly not what I expected at all. I didn't go in to influence policy or to, you know, if I would have run for office if I wanted that. I only went in because I wanted to see interesting stuff, and at the end, to have, you know, an interesting life. That's honestly what I wanted. It's what my dad had, and I, I remember as a kid, my father was such an interesting person. Is such an interesting person. He's seen everything, been everywhere, known everybody seen all this drama and I remember as a kid I was like oh I want that you know I never thought I want to be rich I always thought I want to be the kind of person who's got something interesting to say at dinner and so yeah that's why I did it but it's had a you know a hugely helpful effect on the day journalism because you need to get the you need to get the hell out of your your house once in a while you know
3: yeah and I think that do you feel as though in a way uh, the success you've had has hurt that ability to do it in the climate that we're oh, in. Oh
8: yeah, I mean that's the sad part. I, I mean the other, you know, I'm not a magazine writer anymore. I'm gl- I love my job. I'm so grateful for it. But I really miss just getting on a plane and going somewhere and listening to people for a week, seeing new stuff. Um, and you know, I can. The problem is, you know, the downside. Everyone wants to be rich and famous. Making more money is a good thing. Not being in debt, not having to worry about your credit cards. That's a really good thing but being famous man there's no upside to that at all i I've, I've never seen an upside to it i don't know why anyone would want to be famous it makes you know you don't it doesn't make you feel good about yourself it doesn't make you more secure and it certainly eliminates your ability to go anywhere and to be inconspicuous and to listen i mean now i'm whining and i don't mean to whine but that is
3: it was my that question. is the one
8: thing i regret about my life is i can't just go to an event and stand there and listen cuz loved that
3: Tucker, what I'm doing is I'm willing to use my influence because I am on air, I am a talk show host, and I do want to be famous. I'm going to use that influence to get you back on Fox & Friends weekend, make you less famous, and get you on cooking segments and do obstacle courses. Would you like that?
8: No, I, I would, except the axe throwing is just too dangerous. You know, On Fox & Friends weekend, they'll literally get unsheathed axes and throw them at people, and it doesn't always
3: work out. you know. Right. Once in a while, you have to ignore your producer when he says, turn around and throw the axe. And Pete Hegseth didn't. <laughs>
8: so he tossed it. I don't have it. the insurance umbrella necessary for that. Sorry.
3: <laughs> I just think about, to have a perspective and paging through your book of what you've been through and the next thing you know, you're you're asked to do all these crazy things on Fox & Friends weekend and you must be like, what's going on with me? How did I end up here?
16: <laughs> I've always had a high
8: tolerance for weirdness though. So I can, I can kind of turn off whatever part of your brain is asking questions like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And just roll with it. I mean, it was was super
9: fun.
3: Yeah. And I know you love your streaming shows and the long form interviews too. So go check out his Fox nation series. It's, I cannot believe the volume of work that's there. The volume of work you did is on the long slide, 30 years in American journalism. Pick it up. You get a real perspective, especially if you're coming out of school in your 20s and you want to have an understanding of what you're about to do. Travel. Experience the world. Talk to people. Listen more. And that's some of the takeaways from Tucker's new book uh, and kind of a kind of, kind of a cool cartoonish character uh, leaning on a lot of magazines on the cover. Tucker, thanks so much. Good luck tonight at 8.
8: I appreciate it, Brian.
3: See you, man. Go get him. Tucker Carlson, back in a moment.
8: Educating.
2: Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: According to the Irish Health Authority, masking children in the classroom is not a legitimate medical precaution, it's child abuse. Masks can, quote, exacerbate anxiety and breathing difficulties. They impair, quote, the development of human communication and language skills, particularly for very young children. Now, we know from previous research, the masks can also contribute to high levels of carbon dioxide in the human body, and that's especially true in children. Masks often become breeding grounds for dangerous bacteria. That's conclusive in the studies. It's possible that masks even affect facial development. In other words, there are very serious downsides to forcing masks on children. The question is, what's the benefit of doing it? The Irish government looked into it and decided there is no benefit. Kids in Ireland are not getting sick from COVID. They are not transmitting COVID either. The Irish government refused to implement mask mandates
3: in school and that's something to think about also looking at israel studies when they come out and say things like hey that pfizer vaccine only 46% in stopping the delta variant oops you never told us that well 95% 92% chance of dying from it and you're not going to die from it hospitalization 76% you're not going to be hospitalized but you should say there's an, there's a, almost a better than 50-50 chance you will, if exposed you will get it that's part of the lack of transparency master the fi- or uh, the or the cure all or Cloth masks aren't effective or only N95 masks would work. You want a kid that N95 mask; they already can't breathe in a cloth mask. So he's saying, let's take our chances, give parents a chance to fight it out, uh, to decide what's better for their kids, like every other decision they make. But Joe Biden, instead of owning up to his own challenge, which is stopping this nationally, rather pick on two Republican governors, Texas and Florida. And as those numbers wane, it's going to find himself looking at Democratic governors, but not
9: criticizing. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: There is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom, because with freedom comes obligations and uh, and responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z when you
15: affect other people.
3: Screw your freedom. Joining us now, Michael Loftus. You heard the Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, Michael?
15: I'm still in shock over that. My boy Arnold, he just stabbed us all in the back. He's the poster boy for living the American dream. And for him to say something, screw your freedom. What is up with that? And is that his answer for everything? screwing it, screw your freedom, screw the maid, screw all of it.
3: Right. Good point. I think you got a little off track there for a while. But Michael Loftus is comedian founder of the Loftus Party. Who else would found found the Loftus Party? You're going to see Michael, Freedom to Laugh Tour, kicks off next Monday. He did this crazy thing a couple of years ago and said, I voted for Trump and his career survived. He's going to be in Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, uh, at the Brea Improv on the 12th uh the Addison improv on the 14th, on the 15th in Houston and the 16th in San Antonio. Michael, are are you first off on what Arnold was saying? Are you worried about getting on stage uh, or is the governor of Texas saying make your own decisions making you feel these these shows are going to come off?
15: Well, here's the way I'm doing Texas. Just to, just to deal with it. I'm going to come in through Mexico. Ah. So I figure uh. I get a I get a free pass. They're gonna take me on a bus or a plane to all my gigs. I'm gonna get some money and be embraced. that's the, that's the way to do it right You just come you coming through Mexico. I, all these celebrities and everything they want us to take this this Wuhan virus so seriously. but if it, if it was that bad, they would close the border. You wouldn't be introducing new new carriers of this of this deadly disease that we all have to kill and screw your freedom. Yeah, so I, I'm not worried about getting on stage at all, dude. I did I did a uh, comedy special for Fox Nation, uh, and I did it in Nashville at the height of this thing.
3: And and you have any problem getting crowds? Were people weary? Were club owners upset? Like kind of worried?
15: Well, what we did we did the social distancing thing. We did we did half capacity. Uh, in the club, and and I think that's the key—just social distancing. And I've been saying that for years. I don't like it when people get up all on me at Rite Aid, you know, where you can you can fa- practically feel how much change they have in their front pocket. You're like, hey, buddy, give me some distance here. That's what you got to do. Masks don't work. They know masks don't work. So social distancing, wash your hands, and freedom. But yeah, people aren't afraid. People are ready to go out. These are some of the best audiences I've ever performed in front of.
3: You mean because they're just ready to to laugh. They know who you are at this point. And do you think are you worried about offending people because you do believe that Donald Trump was a good president?
15: Oh, but I'm not only am I not worried about offending people, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Like that, that is my prescription for all of this cancel culture. I gotta go farther. I gotta go farther, I- harder. And as long as Hunter Biden keeps losing laptops, I'm in. I'm in good shape. I got plenty of material. I think a laptop now is a unit of time for Hunter. Like he remembers things. Like, oh, when was I ma- when was I banging my. Uh- when was I banging my brother's wife? Oh, that was three laptops ago. Okay, so when did I have the kid with the stripper? Oh, that was two laptops ago. When did my dad become president? Oh, that was one laptop ago. He is Apple's He is Apple's customer of the year, the decade.
3: Right. He should get AppleCare. He wouldn't have half these problems. The other thing is, Michael, yeah. pretty important, too, is that if you wanted to find out where your laptop was or who it was, you'd only have to read the New York Post or watch Fox. Nobody else would be covering it.
15: That's right. That's, that, is, that is Apple care for Hunter. He's right. like, where did I leave my laptop? He turns on Fox and Friends and you tell
3: him. <laughs> so, so, so listen to what came out yesterday. I can't believe this. You know, the, uh, Victor Davis Hanson is very similar to you, Michael Loftus, uh, who's a Stanford we're, we're professor. Like we're twins. We're yeah. practically twins. Right. He came out. He thinks he's trolling his dad. He thinks his dad, he's been having forced to do all this crazy international deals, many of which clearly are illegal and definitely unethical. And he's trolling them by like, saying, hey, I'm going to sell a painting that I, I learned to paint yesterday. I think I'll sell it for $500,000 to a Chinese billionaire. What could be wrong with that? Here yesterday, this emerges. Evidently, it's not enough to do crack and get a hooker. He actually is taping it now. And listen, the audio's not great, but the fact the scenarios exist and he's the breadwinner of the family and his dad happens to be the president, in, in my mind, is makes it newsworthy. Cut 28.
15: Oh, yeah. I
9: think he's the one that's on to be here. I think the three of them, the three guys. I don't want to go to this happen, you said before, you met. Assume,
1: yeah. So it would have been out already, say.
9: No, no, no. They're out there that's much. Oh, yeah, they are. He is. He knows. He also knows I make a gazillion dollars. So you're going
1: to blackmail you? you. Yeah. In some way, yeah. So
3: he thinks the Russian stole his laptop. He tells his dad, he, his dad knows he makes a gazillion dollars. And the woman, who happens to be a hooker, uh, says, which I think is legal in New York now, uh, they're going to try to blackmail you. That's a little bit of a national security risk, don't you think?
15: Yes, yes. And I feel bad for the hooker in this scenario. Right, because now she's legal counsel to Hunter Biden. Well, you know what, they're gonna try to blackmail you. Like, she thought, listen, if you're a hooker and Hunter Biden comes rolling up, you're like, okay, I hit the jackpot. Then all of a sudden he wants to talk and he's got problems and oh, my art career. And how do you really run a natural gas company in the Ukraine? Help me, Shaniqua. It's just, it's the worst. I feel bad for the hooker in this. But I agree with Victor David Hansen. Hunter wants to get caught. He really wants to get caught. I've never seen a more desperate cry for help. This dude is just, listen, I can't, you can't, your your brain explodes if you think, like, what would have, if this would have been Donald Trump Jr. My goodness, he has one conversation with one Russian chick in a room full of witnesses, and they want to convene the Supreme Court on him. Hunter, Hunter Biden is, like, naked, smoking crack, losing laptops. (laughs) And they're like, what are you going to do? Hunter going to be Hunter. It's unbelievable.
3: Well, the other thing is, too, it's pretty clear, and this didn't get much traction. I don't know if this how funny this is, but he flew into Mexico. He's got a Mexican billionaire, that Victor whatever, Slim, Carlos Slim, and other guys that want to meet the vice president, who's in his last months in office, and the vice president takes Air Force Two, goes down there and meets him with Tunter, and there's a picture out there of the billionaires together in Mexico. Tell me that's not uh, some type of... Compromise thing that should at least come up in the debate, or maybe a thirty-second ad that Donald Trump might have been able to run. But if he did run it, Facebook would have sidelined the account even earlier. So
15: I don't and know, there, and, and that is a problem.
3: In a way, sure. If you care about yeah. our national security, so listen yeah, to if you care about national security or the truth. What about Governor Cuomo this week? This guy went from the ultimate hero that everybody wants to be like him or date him. President Company excluded. And now he's mired in shame and said, I am going to quit, but I'm going to give you two weeks. I'm going to say goodbye for two. It's going to take me two weeks to truly say goodbye. Victor Davis Hanson, who is so much like Michael Loftus, it's scary, had this theory (laughs) cut 31.
9: Well, it's following the same narrative, isn't it, of the Cuomo story. Cuomo is the greatest thing since sliced bread. The, left, the right's trying to do, smear him. It's not true. Da, da, and then he implodes. And I think the same thing's going to happen to Hunter. Lie, lie, lie. It's all a right-wing plot. And then one day it's going to get so outrageous that the media is going to be embarrassed by their obsequiousness and their toadiness. And then they're going to say, we never said that. He was always trouble. Let's get rid of him. And so that's what I think will happen.
3: So, so Michael... Do you think that this is going to get serious quick when in the beginning they said all these scandals wouldn't stick to Cuomo? Do you think at one point it's going to be too much not to reflect on Joe? We know it does, but that CNN would have to cover it?
15: Oh, yeah. It'll happen. It's just a matter of time. It's like when you're in Vegas, like I'll be in two weeks at the MGM. But it's like when you're in Vegas. And and you're and you're playing, uh, uh, you know, roulette, and it keeps coming up black. It keeps coming up black. It keeps. You only get so many spins before it comes up red. Something will happen. There's an email. There's a piece of video. There's something, and somebody's got it. The Chinese, the Russians. Oh, it's gonna come bite. The thing is, the, the media will never fess up. Like just like they're they're doing with Cuomo. How many thousands of people did Cuomo kill? How many thousands of people did King Nipple Rings uh, get rid of? And they're they're going after him for sexual harassment, which is horrible. But, like, with, with Hunter, it's just like he'll, he'll accidentally kill a raccoon in the car, and then the PETA people will freak out.
3: It'll be something minor, uh, like they got uh, yeah. Al Capone for taxes. Meanwhile, he killed so exactly. many people. So, listen, uh, exactly one thing we've always talked about this on and off air, how late nights used to be a reprieve. A chance to laugh, and now it's a, it seems like it's just a new show, and it's a left-wing news show, and you don't laugh, you clap. Allison, listen to the monologues, knowing you're coming on tonight, and Michael, not only a stand-up comedian, but a great writer, she thought, this is all the pressure on you, Allison, she thought this was the best joke on Late Night Last Night. Would you be the judge for us, Michael?
15: You bet. I'd love to.
3: Let's hear it.
2: Finally, a team of researchers found that a chemical leaking from plastic pollution in the ocean is sexually arousing hermit crabs. Honestly, it's the best outcome for a headline with the words
15: sex and crabs. Your thoughts? That's a good joke. Okay. That's a good joke. There you go. I thought it was going go, to go somewhere with Cuomo, though. No. Like, that was no. Cuomo's excuse, and no. that's now why he's going to be a hermit, because he has crabs. No,
3: no, we didn't even. I I just wanted something that would be chance of being funny and not be politically anti-Trump. Republicans are stupid. Joke.
15: Yeah, yeah, that's that was. Oh, holy smoke! I got a big turn coming. Yeah, that is uh, that is. In terms of, we need more of those. Just jokes. Keep the politics out of it. Are
3: you driving?
15: I am. I'm in the car, buddy.
3: You can't even stop to do a radio spot on national. T- we have a national show and you and you have to run errands.
15: <laughs> I have I have family obligations going on right now. And and, uh, and I love you and I, I love you dearly, but I love my wife a little more.
3: <laughs> OK, that's fine. You've known no longer. So if you want to see Michael Loftus, the feelers comedian, uh, as good as he gets out there. Um, we have you in Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. We go to, we, you you can follow them at the Loftus party at the Brea improv on the 12th, the Addison improv on the 14th, the Houston improv on the 15th, on the 16th in San Antonio, the LOL. Is that correct?
15: That is all correct. You're a champ. Thanks for the, thanks for the wonderful plugs. I can't wait to do these shows. It's going to be awesome.
3: All right, good. And Las Vegas too, you said?
15: I'm in Vegas at the MGM in two weeks, baby.
3: We have have a great Las Vegas affiliate, so this is really going to help you.
15: I think so, too. Brad Garrett's Comedy Club. It's like the best one in Vegas. Only the best, only the finest for the listeners of the Brian Kilmeade show.
3: Michael Loftus, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
15: Hey, thank you, brother. Have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, I will. Oh, there's Hunter's laptop. (laughs) All right, I got to pull over and grab that for him.
3: Thank you one 866 408 We come back. Commissioner Pat Ryder, uh, Nassau County Commissioner, how he's helping out that officer uh, that was brutally slain in the middle of the street in Chicago over the weekend while the other officer, shot in the face, clings to life. Uh, Commissioner Ryder, next.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: The fact of the matter is that we've had 38 officers shot at in the city of Chicago since Lori Lightfoot uh, has been mayor this year alone. We had Ella French, who was gunned down and viciously murdered this past weekend. And I think the lesson that we've learned is that the only thing more dangerous than the gangbangers and criminals on the streets of the city of Chicago is Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her failed belief that she is in charge in helping the city of Chicago. She is, as you said, an absolute failure.
3: And, too, so, sadly, so many of these mayors in these big cities are failures. Alderman Raymond Lopez speaking out, also a Democrat. And he's talking about the death of Officer Ella French on a uh, typical traffic uh, stop. Not typical. I guess they're all challenging. Uh, he and her partner shot, and the, both brothers have been arrested, and they were shooting to kill. Uh, Joining me now is Commissioner Pat Ryder. Even though we're in Nassau County in New York, it really struck a chord with him. He and his others, the Nassau County Police Union, is going to present a fundraiser for Officer Ella French. Uh, In her memory, uh, there's raffles to find out more. uh, Well, let's bring him in to find out more. How they can help is uh, Commissioner Pat Ryder. Commissioner, welcome back.
16: Glad to be here, Brian, and thank you for giving me the time.
3: I know you guys are a tight fraternity. But why was it? What was it about this shooting where you thought we got to do a fundraiser to help Officer Ella French's family?
16: You know, sometimes enough's enough, and um, it, it's it's long overdue. We did it way back uh, when the Dallas cops were shot. We ran a fundraiser at Mulcahy's. John Murray and his family at the Mulcahy's family stood up, did the right thing for all of us. They got together with our three unions, both the PBA, SOA, and DAI. And they decided we're going to run a fundraiser this Tuesday, so we're going to send a message that one we are united, you know, as much as um, there's been so so much dissension and and divis division, uh, division between uh, communities and policing right now that the police stay together, they bond together, yeah we we get it we're we're working with our communities, we're trying to make things better, um, but the violence against police has got to stop, and the death of Ella French. Uh, is just tragic, such a young, beautiful lady. Um, so the Mulcahy's families, and we're going to put this together this Tuesday night, 6 to 10, at Mulcahy's. It's 60 bucks at the door. John Thiessen is coming through and going to do the raffles, as he always does, live music. The Nassau County Police Pipe Band's going to play. It's going to be a good, fun night to raise good money for a good cause, and then we'll send it out to Chicago and, ho- and go, uh, that will go to her family um, and, and see what we, a little bit that we can do.
3: I know we've got WABC, WRCN listeners uh, who uh, listen to the show. Hopefully they'll go down in Wantaw, right by the train station. Uh, a lot of big events happen there between 6 and 10. It's a huge place. So that's going to help and it's going to get to Chicago. I want you to hear with Mayor Lightfoot that one of the biggest critics of law enforcement said yesterday.
1: It's my expectation that the police department budget will increase. No question. We have to.
3: Really? Is that amazing to you, the difference a year makes? Having every police department and policemen and women being vilified as the problem. Now when you guys step back or you turn in your badge, they're realizing we can't live without you.
16: Be fun, be fun, be fun was the message that came out. And it was to take money away from law enforcement. You can't, you have to have law enforcement. You have to have law and order if you're going to, to exist as a society. Law and order cost money, but that money can be used correctly. In a time when you're not getting the results that you want, you don't defund. You actually add money to the budget. You increase training. Better training, better equipped cops give better results and that we don't have another situation like a George Floyd. Um, so, you know, I heard earlier in your show, it's 38 cops shot in Chicago. 38 cops. That's unheard of. And the the, the the way that it is turned against us, and now the tide's turning back saying, hey, we need our cops? No kidding.
3: No kidding. And one thing you guys pride yourself on, training. The last time you get training in some of these places is when you get out of the academy. And they're small towns with limited budget. So we got to find a way to help those small towns uh, and get the training they need. And you've talked about that in the past. Uh, Pat Ryder, great job. Commissioner of Nassau County, one of the best in the country. Help him out August 17th for Ella French's family between 6 and 10. Hopefully you can get down there or give to a great cause. Thanks, Commissioner.
9: Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.